We've asked uh, Diana Stahl to come. She is going to read uh, the passage from the end of Romans chapter 12. This will be part of our sermon this morning, so I'd invite you to open your Bibles there to Romans 12 and follow along as Diana reads for us Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give something, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is God's Word. And for the most part, that passage is just a long list of short instructions. And while we could just work our way through one sentence at a time, straight through, Paul seems to circle back on a few different themes. And so I've decided to to bundle these verses together somewhat topically into three parts over this and the next couple of Sundays. So this morning, our focus is going to be on our relationships with fellow believers, So maybe it's worth asking, how are your relationship skills? I had one dating relationship in high school. It was during my senior year, and I will never forget one particular evening uh, sitting in my car in the parking lot of the school gym alone with my girlfriend's father. He had asked me if we could speak privately, and then he told me, you don't know how to treat a girl. I still feel the, <laughs> I still remember that moment. Like, it was a bit of a shock. Uh, my parents had taught me to act like a gentleman. I thought of myself as a good kid, thought I had a reputation as being a nice guy. And uh, even though I wasn't being mean, abusive, certainly not violent to his daughter, I was, I have to admit, pretty insensitive in handling her heart. And I couldn't make excuses. Well, you know, this is my first relationship. Or, hey, I, I only had brothers. I didn't grow up around sisters. I, I just had to admit 
that I didn't know what I was doing. I'd ask for forgiveness and try to get it right. Maybe that's where you are as a Christian. You, you know you're supposed to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, but how do you do that, especially when you don't have the instincts? And that may be a real thing. Maybe you didn't grow, grow up with people who cared about each other, that were not, maybe just being harsh and yelling was just like, well, that's, that's what everybody does, right? Maybe you don't have the instincts for loving one another. In one sense, we all come with the, with the instincts against love. We all have the, that sin problem, that sin nature. So this p- passage is help for you and for all of us. Uh, the theme is real simple. Uh, the, the question that, that comes to us here, Christians are called to love one another, but how do we do that? We're going to try to answer that from several verses from chapter 12 of Paul's letter to the Romans. Let's just start with the first part of verse 9. Let love be genuine. This will be the first part of, of our sermon. How do we love? How do we love like we're supposed to? Without hypocrisy. Be real. The love we all want will not mask apathy or ulterior motives. Be real. The love we all want will not mask apathy or ulterior motives. So where the the English Standard Version, the version translation I'm using, has genuine. Others translate as sincere. Uh, but the Greek word here is perhaps most literally rendered without hypocrisy. Some translations have that. Uh, today, the word hypocrite, when we think about that, it almost always means uh, someone with a sort of a phony religiosity, as in, I don't want to go to that church. It's full of hypocrites, Right? Now, the original word, back in the Greek culture, the original word described uh, an actor in a theater. And in classical Greek theater, the actors wore masks. Maybe you've seen in a theater production the the two masks, smiling, frowning, comedy and tragedy, uh, those were uh, represented in those masks. And that's a helpful picture for us, the mask. Love, love as it should be, does not wear a mask. Love isn't something on the surface. It must be from the heart. Now, now even there, uh, when I use the word heart, I'm not just talking about emotion. This, this is more about integrity. What I mean by that is, is your inside consistent with your outside? Is, is what you, what's on the inside, how you're thinking, how you're feeling, is that reflected on, in what you show to others? Are your intentions and emotions consistent with your actions? Integrity, as opposed to hypocrisy. Now, maybe you want to to push back here a little bit. Hey, if I'm doing the right thing, if I'm treating people the right way, does it really matter what I'm thinking? Does it really matter how I'm feeling? I mean, if my surgeon can repair my knee successfully, I don't care what kind of attitude they have uh, toward me. True. But right here, we're not talking about the kind of relationship uh, that, that we have in any number of transactions in our day, whether that's uh, going to uh, a restaurant or stopping by a store or visiting your doctor. This is not a, a transactional relationship of goods and services. This is a family relationship in the church. Think about it. If, you're, if your mom uh, on your birthday made, made for you an elaborate birthday cake, but then you found out 
that, that celebrating you was really less important to her than the attention she got from all the photos of the cake on social media. Or, or your dad decided to buy you a fishing rod that was on his wish list, and he's asking to borrow it this weekend. Like, what? what Mom, Dad, you... you I, that's, that's not integrity, that is hypocrisy. That's a, that's a, there's a mask there between what they really are wanting to do and what they're actually doing. You'd be upset if that, that happened. They put on the right face, but there was no heart behind it. You found out it was all just an act. That's not the kind of love you want from anyone. I wouldn't even call that love, you say, and you'd be right. Sadly, sometimes that happens in the church, we have to admit. I've said this before, while I strongly challenge the claim that, oh, church is nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. No, 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 no. Except, we have to admit that church is where hypocrites like to hang out. I mean, because we are a community that values good behavior, godly living, and that can end up creating some perverse incentives. Like, I'm doing this because I want to look good. I want everybody to think I'm a good person, that I'm a good Christian. Or I'm hoping that, well, I'm going to go to this place and everybody is nice and I'll do, something, I'll do something for you and hopefully you'll do something for me. That's that transactional kind of relationship where, yeah, hypocrisy doesn't matter if that's all you want, but that's not love. That's not the kind of love you want from anyone. It's not love at all. It's manipulating. It's self-serving. Paul says, let love be genuine. Now, I'll give, I'll give you all the benefit of the doubt this morning. I'll just assume that, that if your love is only surface level, it's not because you're trying to hide something, it may be simply because you haven't cultivated a heart of love toward your fellow believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you are a believer this morning, if you are looking to Jesus for all that he is for us in not only his death and resurrection, but his promised coming again. If that's who you are, then God is at work in you even now to remake you from the inside out. So yes, your behavior matters. Your actions matter, but it, it can't be just an act. Ask God for the help to put your heart into it. That's the kind of integrity, the kind of love that is real. Be real. The love we all want will not mask apathy or ulterior motives. Now, we'll do uh, the rest of verse 9 in a later sermon, but let's read verse 10. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So this is part two, showing honor. Make it your only sibling rivalry to be the first to put others first. Now, we touched on this already in the previous point. Whatever care or concern that you show to others, it's not part of a purely transactional relationship. I, if, I'll, if I provide a service, or excuse me, I provide a service if you'll pay for it, or I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. It's not that kind of relationship. We're family. Keep that in mind, what Paul has been teaching in this letter. As a believer, you have been adopted into the family of God. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why Paul says, in verse 1 of this chapter, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. The appeal is not only on the basis of God's mercy to us in Christ. It comes from a place of shared relationship. I appeal to you, brothers, on the basis of the mercy 
of God. Remember the story of Cain and Abel, the very first brothers in the Bible, where Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Like, why do you expect me to know where Abel is? It's not my, not my problem. As if to say, you know, Abel, my brother is not my responsibility. But of course, the story there and the picture here, we do have an obligation. We have an obligation to care, to serve, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I grew up with two brothers, and Katie and I have raised two boys. So when I think of brotherly affection, um, the word here, Philadelphia, brotherly love, uh, when I think of brotherly affection, it often looks like wrestling. Um, brotherly affection, right? Noogie. Uh, we, we understand that of little boys or teenage boys, but sometimes it becomes more uh, concerning, especially as we get older, that, that, that the, this love needs to, shouldn't look like wrestling. Uh, and, and sometimes, brothers and sisters, there can be competition, there can be jealousy, Sibling rivalry comes, comes naturally. Obviously, it's a thing throughout human history. The closer you are to someone, the easier it is to fall in the trap of comparison and, and competition. And that can happen in the church. Just look at the kind of uh, competition, though, that you should be in in the rest of verse 10. This is the kind of competition you should be in. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, that that outdo one another uh, could also be translated as take the lead or be the first. But if you just stop there, uh, if you just stop with outdo one another, uh, well, that, that gives you the, the wrong kind of competition uh, where there is no genuine love for brothers and sisters, but only self-love. Me first. Me first. The, this verse says, be the first to put others first. Now, I know in a relationship, uh, and, and folks, this, this applies in so many places. It, this is being directed to the, the body of believers, but it can apply to your marriage. It can apply to your workplace. There's a lot of places this applies. We're focused on the church here. But it, it can feel a little risky in the relationship. Like, I, I'm going to put, if I'm always promoting other people for who they are, if I'm always putting other people first for what they've accomplished, where does that leave me? Am I always second or worse? Will I, will I end up last? Will, will I always be ignored? Will, I, will no one appreciate me? Remember, this is calling a community of believers to practice this together. If we're all in this upside-down competition, everyone trying to put others first, then nobody comes in last. Nobody is left out. But here's the thing. If we, if we feel like, oh, this is risky, if I try to put others first, what's going to happen to me? If we, if we all hold back, if we all wait, sit back, waiting, thinking, well, if, if someone honors me first, well, then I'll, I'll honor others. But see, if we all do that, then we're all stuck. We're all going nowhere. No, nobody gets the blessing of that encouragement, of that, of that recognition, of that appreciation. If we're all holding back, then we're all stuck going nowhere. So how can we take the lead? Ask yourself, how can I take the lead in showing honor and, and do that even when I, I know I've got that feeling like, but I don't want to be ignored. How do you do that? Well, one way is to remember this. You are not in the family 
You're not in this relationship. You're not in the family because you were popular, that, that we all voted you in. Oh, this will be a night. They, they'd be a great one to add. Now, th- you didn't get here because you were popular. You are here just like all of us are by the mercies of God. You no longer live in the shame of your sin. In Christ, you are already treasured. You are destined for glory with Christ. Or, or thinking of the paragraph we looked at last week, verses 3 through 8, you may not have spectacular gifts, but you are redeemed and equipped by God for your place in the body of Christ. You do matter. You are essential before and apart from anybody else's opinion or estimation of you. And that's true of everyone else as well, right? There's no sibling rivalry. There need to be no sibling rivalry except the competition to be first, to put others first. That's what we should be doing. Trust God enough with your identity, your security in this family, your security in in His approval, in His affections, that you are His beloved son. You are His beloved daughter. With you, He is well pleased, just like He's pleased with Jesus. And, And because of Jesus, He is pleased with you. So that the only competition among us is to be first, to put others first. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Part three, showing hospitality. This is, how you, this is how we love one another in the body of Christ. Use what you have to meet practical needs in a personal way. Now, remember last week, verses three to eight, we, we talked about giving and serving. In that context, it was about some believers being Uh, uniquely or especially gifted in giving. Here, this this is a general call to all believers to give and serve as an expression of love within the body. And when Paul refers to the saints, he's also talking about all believers, not just the the super spiritual ones. You can see that even in the opening greeting of the letter. Uh, Way back in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, this is written to, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. All the believers together called to be saints. They are sanctified. They are holy ones, set apart from the world, set apart, devoted to God. So this is to to everyone, about everyone in the congregation. Now, does if the word here is that we are to contribute to the needs of the saints, the fellow believers, does this mean we only care about our fellow Christians? Not, not at all. Uh, Galatians 6.10. This is a key verse in thinking about this issue. Galatians 6.10 says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Well, everyone has to mean everyone. If the next phrase is, especially those who are of the household of faith, the family of believers. So you got to hold that all together. Everyone, do good to everyone. We're not going to limit our care to just Christians, to just our friends, to just the people like us. This has to include people that believe differently than we do, people whom we disagree with sharply, people that we might not like. We do good to everyone. Especially, though, means that while we're concerned with everyone, we're, we have a particular concern, a greater responsibility for our own. Just like I have a greater responsibility. I have a responsibility to feed my family 
in a way that I do not have a responsibility to feed my neighbors. Now, if I see my neighbor starving, yes, there's something of a, a responsibility that I have. But my responsibility for my family is greater, more specific to me than just anyone and everyone. So let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And right, that, that same idea is really right here in the text of Romans 12 that you might miss, that the sense of greater responsibility and concern for the family of faith. Uh, see, the word translated uh, contribute in verse 13 is actually not the same in the Greek as in verse 8. So if you look up back up at verse uh, 8, the, uh, the one who contributes in generosity. The one here in verse 13, the, the root of the word, it, it's the verb form of the word koinonia, which you may be familiar with as fellowship or partnership. This, is, this idea of contributing is, is about sharing. It's about giving in such a way as that you have this now together. What's mine is yours. So you're, it's not just that you're giving something, okay, I've got this, now I'm going to give it away, but what's mine is yours. This is how we experience and, and live out our fellowship in the life of the body. So uh, one way we do that is through our, our helping hand fund. We talked about already this morning. This verse should, should encourage you to give to that fund. It's because part of our giving should go to the needs of the saints, the practical needs that people have. And if, uh, also, if you have a need that you can't meet, this should encourage you to ask. Ask, uh, call me, talk to the office. Like, I've, I've got a need. Could I talk to somebody who could maybe help out? That's what we do. We have, and that's what this fund is there for. Our care is expressed practically for practical needs. Now, the other part of this verse, seek to show hospitality, it was especially important in the ancient world, uh, you know, no holiday in express, you know, in, in, uh, just off the highway. In many places, there were either no lodgings for travelers or they were dangerous or, shall we say, disreputable. Um, if you know what I mean, basically brothels in, in some places. That's, that's basically the only place you could stay. So Christians were not very eager to stay in places dangerous or disreputable or if they just didn't have a place to go. So it was important in, in that day, especially for Christians to open their homes to other believers. Now, in light of that historical situation, we might think, well, that's not important to us. It also clarifies that hospitality is not just, you know, elegant entertaining. That's not the command given here. And even though, you know, clean, safe hotels are plentiful in our country, I do believe the principle still stands. We ought to open our homes to one another. Okay, but why? If if we don't don't need a place to stay, uh, if there's other safe options, uh, here's the thing. Our care needs to go beyond just writing a check to the Helping Hand Fund. It's making your care for someone personal. Maybe you don't have means to put something in the Helping Hand Fund, but you do have a place that you can open up. And even if you don't, can't put out a, a lavish feast, you can offer somebody a glass of water, a place to sit. You can offer them yourself, your presence, your friendship. See, because opening your home is opening your life. I know, I know you're probably worried, at least some of you are probably worried about how someone else, if they came into your home, how they're going to judge your decor, or how old your furniture is, or whether they can see dust on the shelf. Or, but, but think about it. Turn, turn the whole thing around. 
not where you are inviting someone in and you're afraid of what they're going to think. Would you rather someone else leave you alone, not, not invite you in? Would you rather that someone else out there who's thinking about, well, maybe I should do this, but no, I'm not going to invite, I'm not going to invite you in because they're worried about, well, if they really see what I'm like, if they really get to know me better, I don't know if they're going to like what they see. Do you want somebody to hold back and not invite you in because of they're afraid about what you're going to think? You don't want that. That's not how you would, you would say, oh, no, don't, don't feel that way. Oh, I don't want you to be concerned about that. Would, would the fact that they reached out be more important than all that other stuff? Of course it would. There is some vulnerability in bringing people into your home, into your life. There's, there's also some vulnerability, I understand, in accepting the invitation to come into somebody else's life. And maybe that means not coming into their home. Maybe it means, hey, I'd like to take you to lunch, if, you, if that's an opportunity for you, or, uh, hey, I'd, li- I'd love to go out and have coffee with you. I, my, my treat, that your hospitality, maybe not in your home, but you, in a personal and practical way, caring for others and opening your home, opening your life to someone else. It's good for you. It's good for them, too. Now, look, look around. Really, I mean, just take, take a moment. Look to your left. Look to your right. You are surrounded by saints, You're also surrounded by needs. You're surrounded by family who would love to feel at home with you. So don't just think of yourself. Don't just think about like, oh, but if they get to know me, or if they, oh, if they see my house, or oh, if they knew what I was going through. No, don't don't worry about all that. Use what you have to meet practical needs in a personal way. That's what loving one another is like. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. We'll stop there. This is part four. In harmony. This is how we love one another. Join in the celebrations and sorrows of others. We're all in this together. Now here in Romans 12, this... Uh, is worded as a command, as instructions. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. In 1 Corinthians 12, something very similar comes up from Paul. Uh, you may remember that that is, uh, like we, we referred to 1 Corinthians 12 last week, it's the other great passage that Paul um, elaborates on this picture of the church as the body of Christ. We're all parts. We're all members of the one body of Christ. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member of the body is honored, all rejoice together. And the point there is not just he doesn't word that there as a command. He's just saying that's how the body works, right? When your back hurts, everything hurts, right? Or maybe your neck or whatever. Whatever hurts, it it all hurts because you are one body. And when you bite into that butter burger, The joy is not limited to your mouth. I'm all happy, right? That's good. Uh, This is how it should be in the body of Christ. Joys and sorrows shared because we are one. We're one body. I I don't know, maybe you've heard this. uh, It's said to be a Swedish proverb. I I couldn't verify this uh, on the internet. Uh, Swedish proverb. Shared joy is a double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. 
Shared joy is a double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. Ha. How is that? Well, when we, when we rejoice with those, I mean, it seems like it comes right from this verse, right? If you rejoice with those who rejoice, now there's more celebration. It, the it celebration's even better. But the, the marvelous paradox here is that when you enter into somebody's sorrows together, the burden actually feels lighter. The sorrows are cut in half. Joy's doubled, sorrows cut in half. What a, what a gift when we do that with each other. So, So we should ask ourselves, why don't we do this? What keeps us from rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep? Maybe you hold back from entering into others' sorrows because, hey, not my problem. Or, whew, that seems really messy. Or, I've got my own issues I'm dealing with here. And so we don't enter into other people's sorrows. Or maybe, you, you, why do we hold back from other people's joys, their celebrations? Well, it could be because you're envious of them, of their victories, of their triumphs, of the, of the, the way that God has blessed them. It's hard to celebrate when other, with others when you're having your own pity party. If you are the one with the joys or sorrows, why don't, why don't, you, why don't you bring somebody else into those? Well, maybe you feel a little self-conscious. I don't want to draw attention to myself. I'm, I'm embarrassed about how deeply this has hurt me, and I, this is my sorrow, and I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed, ashamed of how I'm feeling about it. No, I understand. You don't have to share everything with everyone. But maybe you're trying too hard to handle things on your own when you're just not meant to. Maybe it would be good for you and for them to share what's going on in your life, whether it is the joy or the sorrows. Because we're all in this together. This life, this struggle, this body of Christ. And in the end, we will all be closer, more united, more together, more in fellowship for having shared all these things. So verse 16 really flows right out of that. Live in harmony with one another. That line itself, just that sentence, live in harmony with one another, really connects more closely with the rest of what follows in verse 16, but I include it here in, in, with verse 15, not just because I need an H word for my outline, which I did, but it really does seem to be a bridge in between. This, this connects to both. On its own, the word translated harmony could refer to having the same mindset or outlook uh, amongst the believers, or the idea that you need to work through conflict to come to agreement. So do you see how this connects to shared rejoicing and weeping? Just as the Christian should not say, hey, that's your problem, not mine. Likewise, the Christian should not settle for, well, that's your opinion, not mine, in a way that leaves us all alienated from each other. Now, I know, Coming out from the last couple of years, especially, we've, this has really been put to the test. Living in harmony with one another. We, we know we're not going to agree on everything, uh, which is why we need to lean into our unity in Christ, not our disunity over vaccines or anything else that, that, we've, that have divided us over the last few years. But to the extent that we can, we want to come together. We want to try to understand each other's concerns. We want to try to find common ground. We want to work through our disagreements as best we can. And then when, when we're still struggling, we're like, but, 
But, but Christ is what has brought us together. There, there are, and I should say this, there are serious issues that create necessary divides. There are, right now, if you follow such things in the news, there are whole denominations of uh, Christians that are breaking up over, over biblical issues. And if it's a matter of faithfulness, yes, you have to take a stand. There is no unity apart from truth. Hear me say that. But we do have to ask ourselves, when, the, when har- that harmony is threatened, okay, is this a particular issue that, that where we disagree, is it worth creating division in the body of Christ? We, gotta, we have to ask that. Because we are called to live in harmony with one another. Verse 16, again, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is our last part this morning. Not haughty. Think of yourself and others in ways that pull us together, not apart. Think of yourself and others in ways that pull us together, not apart. One major obstacle to harmony, to unity in the body of Christ is pride. We saw that last week in verse 3. Look back there again. For by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Instead of seeing who you are and what you've accomplished uh, as what God has given you by his grace, the ways that he has equipped you to contribute to the body, you think you managed all your life yourself. You're you're how you got to where you are. I've got a, I mean, God bless you. If you're able to say, hey, hey, I've got a a healthy marriage. I've got happy kids. I've got a successful career. I've got plenty in the bank. I mean, you're looking around at everybody else. Like, what's so hard to figure out? Uh, I'm an expert in theology. I'm, I, guess, I, I know all about the Christian life. I mean, just read the Bible. No big deal. Well, here, here's the thing. If that's you, not in that attitude, but in where you're at in life, it, it might, I, I suppose it could be factually true that by many standards, you are doing better than most people. But understand that that attitude will not pull us together. It, it, it will drive us apart. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly what you're doing when you, like, look, okay, I'm going to look at me, I'm going to look at you and say, huh, you know what, I really do stand out. I really stand above the rest. And, and you are pulling apart the body of Christ. And, I mean, just even before we get to the, to the unreality, the, the, the wrongness of that thinking, just understand that that's the effect that it has. We pull ourselves apart when we try to set ourselves apart. I'm doing better. They, I, I'm really in a class by myself. I am, I'm, I'm out ahead of the pack. You're, you're outdoing one another in showing honor to yourself. But that's not helping the body. If you think you're better, you're smarter, then you won't listen to anyone else. And ironically, you think you're, you've got it all together, but you won't stoop to help anyone either because you see everyone else as beneath you, not worth your time. You won't weep with those who weep. How pathetic. I mean, if they had their act together like me. You won't rejoice with those who rejoice. Oh, you're, you're happy with that. I mean, I'm obviously operating at another level. Who do you think you are? Who, do you think you are some some? Uh, independent, operating uh, Christian who has no need for the body, that the body has no need for you? Paul says, God's given us what you have by His grace, and He's yes, He's made you 
unique and special so that you can especially fit into and serve and benefit the whole body. And he's made all of us that way. You're special, just like everyone else. Romans 12, 16, this verse we're looking at here, is really just a thumbnail sketch of the panorama that we get in Philippians chapter 2. And as we get near the close here, I'd love to to read that passage. Philippians 2, you know this well. You can turn there or just listen with me. But this is... This is a beautiful passage. Again, well, let me just read our verse here in Romans 12. Live in harmony with one another, which we said spoke of having the same mindset, having agreement with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Philippians 2, Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is the same word translated as harmony there in Romans. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Christians are called to love one another. But how do we do that? Stand in awe of Jesus and follow his lead. Paul's call to humility, whether in Romans 12 or Philippians 2, is so much more than just a simple, you know, hey, don't be so full of yourself. It's this. Let the one who emptied himself for you Be the one that fills your gaze. Look to Jesus. Our Savior is glorious. You want to know what a love that is genuine? What did Jesus do for you? And then when we are so full of Christ and not full of ourselves, we'll find that we all are being drawn together in Christ in ways that are beautiful and powerful and soul-satisfying. I pray that for us as a body. I pray that we would all enter in to this life together that God has for us in Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you know that we don't have all the instincts for loving one another that we need. It has to be a work of your grace. It has to be a work of your spirit in us. We trust that you have begun that as we have put our faith in Christ. You have begun this work of your spirit in our lives to give us the heart so that our love is not just an act. It is an action with a heart behind it. A heart in it. God, May this church always be drawn together, pulled together by 
nothing but Christ. Nothing but your grace. Nothing but the mercies of God. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.